Okay, welcome, 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 everyone. Daishihan Miller here with this week's episode of Kuden. Of course, I've got James in the wings. I guess I'm pointing in the right direction when his little magical window pops up. Anyway, so uh, we're, well, I'd say we're well into 2023, but this is our second episode in 2023. So uh, I know I've used this in the past, but we'll start it off this way. Um, the uh, title for this episode uh, really a synthesis of a couple of different um, uh, studies and, and whatnot, and, and two books that I was thinking of while I was processing things. Um, the titles kind of jammed together, so we'll talk about that. Um, but uh, I'm going to start off with something leading out of this past weekend. This past weekend, we'd had our Daikomiosai uh, New Year's resolution kind of seminar uh, at the dojo, and uh so uh, we, we're going to talk about some of that stuff, right? But what can, it can really be summed up by um, this quote from Albert Einstein, right? That problems cannot be solved by the same mind that created them. I would also highly recommend or highly suggest that getting where we want to go can't be done with the same mind or traits or whatever that produces and maintains our current state. So we'll talk about that more as soon as we get back. So the big question is this, how are self-defense and success-minded people like us, concerned citizens worried about protecting ourselves, our loved ones, and the things we care about from the monsters we know exist in the world? How do we train in a way that gives us the skills, knowledge, and understanding we need without becoming paranoid fighters or killers ourselves? and yet still allows us to be the hero protector the world needs us to be? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Jeffrey Miller, and welcome to Kuden Radio, real training for real people in a real world. All right, and I'm back. I'm not typically a t-shirt guy, right, unless I'm wearing, like, the training t-shirt from the dojo or whatever, but I couldn't resist. This was a t-shirt that my wife got me uh, for my birthday, which was yesterday, uh, and I just couldn't resist, right? So... Because uh, it's so not me, but I saw it and I thought, I'm wearing that for tomorrow night's uh, Kuden, right? So if you've seen it, then you already know what the next part is. But uh, instead of Socrates, it's mediocrities, right? So just cool stuff. Anyway, all right, uh, and I am going to talk about this whole good enough kind of thing, right? Um, because it's like most things, right? Um, True wisdom. I've, I've heard uh, I, this is something I got way, way back in the day that true wisdom, right? With true wisdom, the opposite is also true. Okay? Somebody says the barrel's half empty. Uh, you know, it's also half full. It's that kind of stuff, right? So, and I know, sounds like, you know, woo woo cliche kind of stuff. But the question becomes when is one more correct than the other? Okay. When is more correct? When is one more correct than the other? Anyway, so uh, as I mentioned, we just came out of our uh, dichomiosi, and for those of you who are just joining us in, you're just kind of uh, uh, joining the the Kuden clan, I guess. Um, it may be a little bit confusing, especially if you're a member of the Bujinkan or you followed this uh, kind of stuff, and it seems like we're a month off, right? Because dichomiosi 
When I say traditionally now, I mean historically as far as the Bujinkan goes from when this thing started, right? A lot of people throw around the word traditionally like they throw around warrior, enlightenment, and other bullshit like that, right? So, but um, Daikomiosai, from its inception, was done to coincide with Hatsumi Sensei's birthday, right? Which was all great way back in the mid to late 80s. When, uh, you know, you had all these people trying to train and, you know, any training opportunity that popped up, um, you know, people were jumping on, right? I think people are kind of, I don't know, seminar blind these days, okay? Um, I was just talking, James, was it you that I was talking to? I know I was talking to somebody yesterday about this. Um, I think it was over lunch between you and Phil and I. We were talking about the irony that the personality types that we've identified that really get attracted to this art and this particular way of training and all that, right? Um, have a general distrust for business people. Um, they don't like salesmen or the sales process or whatever, right? They don't like marketing and whatever. And, and you know, a martial arts school like mine or whatever. If we, if we do that, then, you know, there's this term. What do they call it? A McDojo, right? Um, whatever, right? Because you're not supposed to do this commercially. Okay, well, you got to keep the lights on. You got to keep the, the the place. Otherwise, you're this week you're training in my garage. Next week you're training in a park. The week after that you're training in my backyard. The week after that uh, the group is disbanded because well shit we can't find a place to train, right? But the irony that we were discussing was, uh, you know, I put these general things out about what we're doing, right? Back in the day, it didn't matter what was going on at a seminar, right? Seminar pops up. Like people are like, how much and where is it? And they just, we just went, right? Now, you know, well, you know, everybody and their brother is teaching seminars. Everybody and their brother has online training programs. So, you know, whatever, right? And on top of that, shit, it's all free on YouTube. No, it's not all free on YouTube, right? What I see is the same shit's free on YouTube. Anyway, um, but the irony is that we're going to talk about some things that we did this weekend, right? And there's a really, really good possibility that somebody's going to be thinking, oh, man, if I knew you were doing that, like, I'd have gone, right? But if I laid it all out and, and described it in really juicy benefits and what you're going to get out of it and all that kind of stuff, I run the risk of you seeing it as marketing. And if you see it as marketing, then it's going to turn you off. But if I don't do it, then you don't know and you can't make it, well, hell, right? So, you know, Hatsumi Sensei doesn't do it. Really, what do you call all the books and videos and, and magazine articles over the years and all that kind of stuff, right? You see it as teaching, right? Hmm, kind of like Kuden and Whiteboard Wednesday, right? But you see it as teaching and information and all that kind of stuff, but it makes you chomp at the bit and want to go train, right? Not everybody, right? For some people, it's good enough, right? And they'll figure it out on their own, right? Um, well, they'll figure out something. But anyway, during this weekend, and just to launch this thing off, right, um, what we really focused on was kata. And I don't mean that we just went through a whole bunch of kata from the lineages, because that's what people tend to do, right? 
oh, this weekend we're doing the Kukishin Deoryu uh, Shoden no Maki, or we're doing the uh, the uh, the Sabaki Moguri Gata, or we're doing the Koto Yu uh, Okuden, uh, whatever, right? Um, it's almost like, you know, the martial arts training has become a replacement for uh, stamp collecting or coin collecting, right? Except we're going to collect kata, right? But what we were looking at is the concept of kata and how it reflects in different systems, right? Two major schools of thought uh, just coming out of Japanese uh, martial traditions, right? And then we also took a look at the kata as a snapshot in time, right? So uh, punch comes flying in, you do X, Y, Z, right? But how the beginner can be led to believe that that kata is the whole fight. Might be. But if you have any experience, probably not, right? So then we took a look at how the kata could be the thing you try and then something's going to come after it. Or it could be something came before it and the kata you're using ends the fight. Or something came before it, you tried a kata, it didn't work, something's going to come after it, right? So it could be kata, 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 right? And not necessarily kata because kata are learning vehicles, right? So uh, what we really tried to do was pierce the veil and expand the thinking about something that people assume to be really, really simple, right? I mean, it's kata, right? It's a form, it's an example, it's a model, right? It's this, well, for some people, it's this sacrosanct, sacred thing. You may not change it, right? whatever, right? Okay, but we needed to pierce the veil, right? We needed to look at things like, Okay, this is the stuff that's written. What's not written? Okay. These are just bullet points. But somebody else is teaching you how to do this and introducing it to you. And that way, this now becomes a reference, right? Kind of like crib notes or whatever, right? It's just, it's a thing, right? It's, it's something to work with, right? But where do you go from there? Right? There's a really popular meme that's floating around the Internet. Everybody in the freaking Bujinkan shares this thing, right? Um, and it's a Hatsumisa, one of Hatsumisa's quotes that the kata are not the lesson in and of themselves, right? They just show you where you need to start, right? But again, how we think about it, right? And I'm only talking about kata now. How we think about this thing or how we think about this idea, kata, forms, examples, what dictates everything else that we're going to do related to those things or related to our training. Some people are confused about them. You know, they'll look at kata and go, well, shit, dude, there's no way you can do that in a fight. So they avoid any systems or any training that involve models, right? So they're just over here just slamming and banging and whatever. Necessary part of training, right? But they're missing out on the benefits of kata, right? Kata folks, right, want to head toward that direction, right? But they don't want to have no structure at all, 
right? So, right, so there can often be this conflict, but the reality is, is that you need both sides and really you, you need to bring them together. But again, um, James, I'm going to ask you to pop up there. I don't know if Phil's on or any of the guys that were, that were actually, um, at Dicomiosci if they're on live at the moment. Um, what were some of the other, um, I, I don't have the lesson plan right in front of me and, after a seminar is over, it's, it tends to be a blur. Uh, we did one kata that I was actually introduced to at white belt, early green belt, something like that. Um, uh, that is actually way far down in the uh, Kukushinden school, right? Uchiharai. It's in the Moguri Sabaki kata in that scroll, right? Um, and so that actually did double duty during one session, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I could have done that in front of a whole bunch of eyes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so that one did double duty, right? Half the lesson was about looking at it from the perspective that like any, any technique can be beaten, right? Anybody that ever tries to tell you that they've got an unbeatable technique and they want to teach it to you, freaking run. Just run. Okay. Because there's no such thing, right? Oh yes, this is unbeatable. Really, if a if a jack wagon can shoot you from across the street and you can't do your technique, right? So somebody could be faster, slicker. They could know your stuff, which is why all the lineages trained people to defend against their own techniques. Unless you have somebody come in, learn something really cool, and then pop a gasket and try to use it on you, right? So, um. So what we did, and this was a this was a training model or a training drill that I learned way way back in the day. Where what we do is we we learn the kata, right? So here's the kata, right? And then what we're going to do is we're going to work up to a certain point, okay? And the attacker is going to flip it on you, right? They're going to counter your technique at a certain point, right? And the attacker wins from that point. And then, now that we know, oh, that's a problem, right? So now let's, how do we counter the counter, right? Or how do we take up the angle? How do we discover what's really supposed to be done so they can't do that piece or whatever, right? So it was just this back and forth give and take, right? Because we need to realize, well, you don't have to, right? I'm just kind of suggesting that if you want to grow beyond kindergarten, right, you might have to learn some other things, Okay, because the scribbling, right, that you got away with in kindergarten that everybody hung up on the on the refrigerator as the cool artwork that you did, right, not so acceptable when you're in ninth grade or when you're a high school graduate or whatever, right? Because if you're doing that, somebody's calling a doctor. And if they're not, well, then I'm sorry, warrior's perspective, they're just a little too freaking patronizing or a little too accepting, right? Because they're, they're not... They're not helping you grow, right? Well, you know, I don't want him to feel bad. I don't want him to, you know, I, I, I don't want him to feel like he's being bullied or whatever. Come on, man. Right? Well, you know, we have impressionism. No, what you have are bare feet artists throwing paint around on a canvas and other whack jobs willing to buy that for $25,000. <laughs> That's right. And I'm not here to tell anybody what they should like or not like. But if that's your approach to not dying, well, maybe 
I would stop it barefoot and just maybe think about other things going forward from there, right? So, um, so here's this training drill or training mechanism where one of the aspects of it, one of the, one of the important pieces is to drop the designators of attacker defender, right? Because in the beginning, right, we have attacker defender, right? But what does that set up? It set up a, sets up a belief that we're on some kind of moral high ground, right? He's the attacker. The guy who throws the first punch is the attacker. And the guy who does the technique or the girl who does the technique is the defender. But it's not just about attacker defender, is it? It's about bad guy, good guy, right? But what if, what if, again, it's a snapshot in time. Okay. Again, for the old guys, old girls in the, in, the, in, the, you know, in the listening audience, right, there was a time way back in the day when TV turned off at like midnight or one or two in the morning or something like that because there just wasn't a lot of programming. And the programming that was running, you had pre-programmed, pre-recorded stuff, your sitcoms whatever, Saturday morning cartoons, all that kind of stuff, right? You had your TV shows, and then you had live broadcasts, presidential speeches, sporting events, whatever. And very often, those sporting events or speeches or whatever ran overtime. And when they ran overtime, they didn't do what they do today where they just jog everything so that your TV show starts at 0001 and you can watch the whole thing. One of the most common phrases we heard when I was growing up was, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming already in progress. And a couple of the older guys like Richard and whatnot just laughing like, ah, oh, we hated that stuff, right? Because you can be waiting for your favorite show, starts at 9 p.m., but the president's talk goes over by 15 minutes. Then they return you to your show and you're, if it was a half hour show, I mean, crap, you had no idea where you were. If it was an hour, you were already lost enough, right? There was a huge chunk in that introduction of that, the whole setup of that story that you're just missing, right? But we learned to live with it. But one of the things that I was introduced to by Hatsumi Sensei, uh, Hayes, some other um, teachers, was this whole idea that the kata is a snapshot in time, Right? And what if, what if that initial punch was we're picking up a fight at this point, but the fight's already in progress, okay? Now, this can be seen in a couple of different ways in, the, in your techniques, okay? Uh, we worked with a kata from the Koto's, uh, Koto School's Shodan Nomaki uh, called Shiaku, okay? It's a part of a packet of four kata that teach the exact same strategy, they just look very different, right? So, well, 50, 60%, they look the same, right? But they they all start off with two punches, right? And you're looking the gosh, looking the gosh, and then you do the next thing, right? But the 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 secret is that it's not about two punches. It could be one punch. It could be five punches. It could be two punches, whatever. 
because what you're looking for is the moment that you're set up to do the next thing that the kata is suggesting. Okay? How long will that take? I don't know. Okay? It's also pointing to other possibilities. Okay? One of those possibilities would be, and I think I use this analogy, I could be standing at a bus stop, waiting for my bus, reading billboards, or whatever, and next thing you know, there's a blur out of the corner of my eye, and I shift and kind of fend, but it's not a true counter-strike. I mean, it's going to be close if I train a lot, and the come-eye becomes my flinch reflex. But again, what we're talking about here is getting over, and again, how we think about it dictates our training. So if we've never thought about training where we need to train with the kamai to the point where we just want to freaking throw up. And we're so bored, but we keep going until your flinch response looks not perfect. Looks all rough around the edges, but it's more kamai-like, right? So, but most people train with a training partner. You know what the technique is. And even if you're sparring, right, you, you know what you know what they're going to throw, you're paying attention, it's all there, right? But what if you're not? What if you're going down the honeydew list, right, outside the hardware store, and the next thing you know, there's this blur, or you've already been hit, and now there's another blur, right? And you go into this fending thing, and, right, it's going to take a punch or three or four before your head gets around the idea that, shit, I'm in a fight. I'm being attacked. Not exactly the same as in the dojo, is it? Because you already know he's going to throw a punch or a kick or whatever he's going to do. You already know. You're already set up. And you're calm. Right? So chances of the adrenals going up, beginners tend to have it go up way more than anybody else because of the fear of getting hit until they get over that and whatever, right? But there's all these different ways to train and look at that setup. In other kata, right, there's a punch or a kick or a grab, and then you do the whole kata. And I've seen all the kata perfectionists do it this way. But what they do is they jump over these two kana, uh, kanji that spell out the word ziyu. J-I-Y-U is how we would write it. Ziyu, which points to things like, formlessly adaptive or whatever, but what it really means is a bunch of shit was going on before this moment, and then he throws this, and you do X, Y, Z. Harder to train that way, because you need to be paying attention for when that moment occurs, right? Well, I mean, how do you know? I mean, you're not going to be able to think about that stuff. or No, you're not going to be able to think about it. Just like when you're driving down the damn road and somebody cuts you off or pulls over or does whatever and your foot moves, your hands move, you do a hundred different little micro movements before your conscious mind gets out of what the hell is going on mode. If we're not getting there with our body for our martial arts training, you're right. Kata training's bullshit, right? But what it is is a framework that you can stay within Fix mistakes, all that kind of stuff. But I'm just, I'm just at the front, right? And there's a couple of different ways that martial arts schools set this stuff up, right? I don't mean modern schools. I mean in the scrolls, okay? So it might say two punches. It might say GU, whatever, 
right? So we we examined what does this mean and, and how might you have to train? Well, what might happen? Somebody might throw a psych out. Somebody might blindside you, right? And your first move or your second move are just these little fending things, and suddenly your adrenal response is kicked in. You're, you're not in, as uh, says, he calls them, um, there's a sense of nervousness where you're trembling and all that. But if you can ride that out, it only takes a second or three if you have, well, it's less and less if you have more experience. But you get to a point where there's a state of calm nervousness, okay, where you can, you can see again. You're not calm like we're talking here. It's not the same, right? But there, there becomes this stasis, right? And you, you, your system is normalized. It's equalized, okay? The chemicals have hit the cells. They've charged. You're in this new state, mind, your muscles, and all that kind of stuff. And things, things start to come back, right? Not the same way, but they come back, right? And he calls that Budo nerves, right? When things start, first start to happen and the adrenals hit and all that kind of stuff, right? Palms sweat, start to shake, vision gets a little weird, all that kind of stuff, right? But if you can ride that, and see, a lot of people are afraid of that state. That's why they never leave soft training, right? Because it's just, it's safe, right? Um, but th- there's this shift, right? But anyway, so we just took a look at, at different ways. So this one kata, this uchiharai that we looked at, right, we did it from this perspective of we have to realize, right, that th- we're not fighting a moron. We're not being attacked by a moron. If we are, well, shit, you don't need martial arts. You don't need 2,000-year-old secrets to defend against crap, right? So, but if they know what they're doing, if they've got experience, if you don't think that when you throw in your counter, they're not going to try to block avoid it or whatever. And if you've ever been in a fight, you know that that's true no matter how freaking good you are, right? So we just played this back and forth kind of thing, right? So um, I don't know, probably took five minutes for everybody to learn the core model of Uchihai, right? And then we went back and forth and you could just watch eyes glaze over more and more and more. For some people it was, wait, who's, who's attacking and who's supposed to Right. They got lost in the attacker defender thing. But what we also did was drop the moral high ground and recognize that whoever's throwing something in the moment is the attacker in that moment in time. The other person trying to handle it is the defender. This is not about who's right and who's wrong, who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. Right. A lot of people never leave that kindergarten distinction. Okay. So. Uh, and then at the, then at the same time, we're looking at Uchiharai as from the from the perspective of look, I'm beyond again. I'm talking about our curriculum, right? If you're if you've been promoted in the in the pure Bujinkan, the way it's typically done in Hombu and all that, um, then it's going to be different, right? But in our curriculum, if if you're training beyond second dot. Okay. Which, if you need a, if you need a reference point, Hatsumi Sensei um, describes what he's looking for, what I call Nidan, for eighth to ninth dons. So there's a there's a discrepancy in numbers, 
okay? I'm looking for somebody to be able to use Nijutsu or Nippo Taijutsu, Budo Taijutsu alone with nothing else against a single heated attacker on the street doing whatever they want. You don't need anything else, right? You can use this alone, okay? But my people also are in training for what, James? Four, five, almost <clears throat> sometimes six years, depending on the student, to get the needle. So the number, my, my ranking system is closer to what you would see in other martial arts systems that think that our stuff is crap because people get promoted too fast, right? So, and I'm not here to judge on that stuff either because it's my teacher. He can do whatever the hell he wants, right? So benefits of being soke, right? But here's this reality, right? Beyond Nidon, right? Sandan, up to Nidon, we're looking at, look, just don't die, okay? Um, resolve this any way you need to. Go with the flow. Match him. Whatever, okay? But it's very, it's, it's responsive, okay? Don't have an agenda. All that kind of stuff, right? All that matters is that you get the hell out, okay? After that, all bets are off because starting at Sandan, now I'm talking to people that want greater control or need to have greater control. Law enforcement officers, security professionals, military, those kind of guys. And obviously civilians that want greater control and understand liability, don't want to go to freaking jail for defending themselves, right? There's, there's an agenda, right? Now there's an agenda, okay? And so now I need to set things up, right? Or create certain endpoints, right? Strategic thinking is more important, okay? So here's an example, and I, I give this a lot, but it's because I'm an ex-cop. Okay. Let's say I need somebody on the ground, face down, chest down, right? So it's just easier to get cuffs on, right? If I drop them on their side, if I drop them on their back, I have to get them flipped over, right, to get them into cuffs, okay? So it's in my best interest to do whatever strikes, whatever manipulations, whatever evasion, tactic, tactical maneuvering, whatever that moves him face, chest down, okay? So I'm going to have to be more tactical about this, okay? Same thing. Got somebody that comes into my house, okay? I know. There's lots of people. I just shoot them, man. Well, okay. Hopefully you live in one of those states because I don't live in Texas where I shoot them and drag them back inside or whatever, okay? I don't live in a place like that. But maybe I just want them back out the door, Okay? Well, then anything that I do has to steer him in that direction because if it doesn't, the fight lasts longer, which means I risk losing more, right, after about the first 10 seconds in a survival situation, not a sport match. In a survival situation, after the first 10 seconds, your chances of losing go up exponentially. Okay? So... It's in my best interest to do things and do them in a way that move him in the direction I need him to go, not in other directions. Okay? And then it just keeps going from there, right? Um, my Sandan to Yondan guys do a lot of stuff no-handed, right? As if they're restrained, as if they're injured or whatever, right? How do I hide in the, in the, uh, in the eye of the storm, so to speak, where he can feel me, but he can't get at me because of the way the human body 
is built. How do I use those blind spots or unseen points that Hakimi Sensei is always taught uh, on, right? How do I how do I attack things that he'll never respond to, he'll never try to get away from or try to block or whatever because he can't see it coming, right? It's outside his peripheral vision, it's under his arm, whatever. I'm using blind uh, channels, right? Not the same, right? Our kata teach these things, right? If we're doing, as long as we're doing more than just staying in the shu, you know, shuhari, right? That that uh, old traditional training model, shuhari, right? Anybody that stays within kata, with the kata, right, is just in the copy slash preserve kind of realm, right? They're not really learning from the kata. They're just learning the kata, right? But then you need to start extrapolating lessons without changing shit and without making stuff up, right? Why well, do it this way? Because it's too slow to move in the kamai like that. As, Hats- as uh, Hatsumi Sensei or one of the master teachers told one of my teachers when he tried throwing that in Japan, what they said was, oh, really? Is that what you think? It's too slow to move in this. Hmm. I suggest you need more training. I think you, you, you need more understanding. Anyway, so we did this thing with this back and forth, attacker wins, defender wins, that kind of thing, right? But this other thing is what if I start out, because I've got this agenda, right? And he counters. And this thing gets knocked off track, right? So I'm countering his counter and all that. But I still need him to be face down. Or in this case, right, we were putting him back down, right? Because I guess we were using a Ganseki. We could have switched it into a, a Musodori and brought him down this way. But either way, right, um, I'm going to need to continue to counter until I can get that to happen, right? That's what we did. We kind of played around with it until this guy threw another similar attack, like at the beginning, and the kata ended the way the kata was supposed to end, right? Um, uh, I, don't, I don't know if anybody's skull cracked or not, but... Um, it, it, it was a lot because I don't, I don't know how many people were ready for that part, but it is what it is, right? So, but we didn't deviate from the kata. We took a look at a, at a reality, right? How can you be going along with your logic, get knocked off track, and then come back? Because a lot of people, you know, they'll start off with whatever their technique or the logic is, and they get knocked off track, and then they'll just, they'll finish it, right, in some other way, which is fine. I don't have any problem with that. The only problem I have with with 70% of them is they'll call that thing a henka. I did a variation because it wasn't going that way. No, you didn't. You did something else. There's a huge difference between a henka, a true variation of a kata, that allows what you do to be called by the same name and something else. It's not the same. Okay? So, anyway, so played around with a whole bunch of stuff. But the whole crux of it was to come at and address people's beliefs or viewpoints or whatever on what kata is, what they are, what any given kata means, whatever, right? And then I topped it all off at the very end, right, on Sunday, before we were done, with a whole different type of kata. What we do, James? <clears throat> meditation. We did a basic Zen type meditation. Okay? Because I was taught that you should see, you should look at your uh, meditation techniques 
whether it's Zen or insight-based, Vipassana or visualization or whatever. You're given this exercise. You're given this kind of model, right, because you're training your mind. It's a kata, okay? If you learn a script, one of the first times I ever learned a script, uh, I was in the military, and I was uh, I was an assistant after hours helping whoever was in charge, right? And my job was to help answer the phone. Well, you know what? Here's a script. Here's how you will answer the phone, right? Hello, unit name, unit name, your name and rank speaking. Who am I speaking to, and how may I help you? Right? That's what you say. Not, well, you know, good enough. Okay? But when you learn things like that, it's a kata. Right? When my instructors learn how to do uh, a first introductory class for a new student, there's a framework. There's things to be said at certain times because I want to, I want to, I am controlling, but I want to, I want to stay with someone's natural thinking process so as to not confuse them. Right. I want that to be a positive experience and not just, Hey, just suit up and just jump out there and just follow along with everybody else. You want to, you want to know the number one reason that people lose students so quickly? Stop freaking confusing them. Right. You can, you can lose the most, the most committed people, right? And when they leave, it's kind of like leaving a marriage, right? It's not like they don't want to be married. It's not like they don't want to do martial arts. They're just not doing it with you, right? So it's just, it's not the same, right? Right, James? When you, when you walk away, right? I, I was going through a divorce one time and uh, soon to be, Son-in-law said, so you don't believe in marriage. I said, absolutely believe in marriage, right? Absolutely believe, do, do believe in marriage. But I also believe in mutually beneficial relationships. And so I'm not willing to settle for something that makes me have to use cliche things. Like I, I had to choose between being right and being happy. Or if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, or whatever. Jesus Christ, talk about victim statements. Holy cow. Right? Anyway, all right. So, um, but I left him with the idea, it's a kata, right? It's a form, it's an example, a model, a framework, right? To borrow uh, the term mandala, right? Because we have these, the taizokai, kongokai, mandala. The word mandala means uh, boundaries, Right, because you can't look at everything, so you bring it in to keep everything in a nice limited area. Look at that. Then you can look at another one. Then you can look right, and eventually your your scope broadens. Right. So anyway, right. So this is just an example of this idea that the way we think, right. And, and if you read the little uh, slide when it was up, right. Have you ever asked yourself? Why do I think this way? Right? Not why do I do this? Right? Because your 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 thoughts, actually your words, right? The words in your head, and the words you speak, and your body your body language, the, your actions, your choices in the world, and all that, all come long before you made them. Okay. 
And if you remember that little slide that was up, I'll pop it up again. Okay. There's a picture of a planet up there. There's a group of people. There's a martial arts belt. There's a dollar sign. I don't want to convolute it with a bunch of other things, right? But what we believe about ourselves, about the world, which includes other people, and things that happen in the world, right? And the connection between those things determines plans, communications, actions, choices, and everything, right? So, you know, if we're constantly focused on corruption, does corruption exist? Yes. To the extent that people who only focus on that or use that as the scapegoat for them not being successful? No. How do I know that? I wouldn't be where I am if that were true. Lots of people that I know that are farther down the line would not be there. And they're not corrupt. Right? So um, what we think, right, changes things. Right? And that brings us to – does anybody have any comments or, or questions about anything that I was discussing there with the kata? No, sir. Okay. All right. So let's look at mediocrities here and his meh. Good enough. Okay. Um, remember I said, one, I'm not a t-shirt guy, and this is so not me to wear stuff that's just, right, to most people, right? This would make pe certain people very, very, very comfortable. It would make other people think that I tend to walk around. I, I'm not... You can wear T-shirts, jeans, or you can wear whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. You do you, right? The most dressed down I tend to walk around in the world with is a golf shirt, right? These collared three-button kind of things, jeans, some loafers, whatever, right? It's just how I feel comfortable, right? It's also how I choose to carry myself because of how I see myself. Again, beliefs, right? But... This would make somebody feel really, really comfortable who absolutely uses this all the time, right? But the joke on the shirt is that it's not Socrates, it's mediocrities. It's somebody who's just looking for mediocre at best, right? Good enough, right? We'll talk about that in a minute. Now, here's where I'm going to throw everybody off because remember in the beginning I said with true wisdom – the opposite is also true. Okay? I absolutely do believe in good enough. But the conditions for these two people are very different. I'll give you a, a similar example uh, through a story. I, I remember uh, having one of my very first lessons. It was in a group. Very first lessons with my Mikyo teacher, Reverend Jikai. And he was discussing this idea of Vajra anger. Right. And Vajra anger. It's on the mandala. Right. Most because most people think that like enlightened, spiritual, blissful people, they don't get angry. Uh, people need to study. Right. Not just read a couple of things. Okay. Um, Vajra anger is very clear, very clean. And it's done once once it's out, it's done. Right. It's just gone. There's no re residue, anything like that. Right. Um, you didn't, never even know that anger was present, okay? Um, it's always based on truth and something that's needed 
it's usually used as a tool and as an expedient, right? Make something happen now, like lightning. Okay, it's clean, it's clear. Once it's done, it's done. Okay, that doesn't mean it doesn't cause damage. Okay, but I was having a hell of a time getting my head wrapped around this. And here's that thinking thing, right? The extent to which you can think, or the the extent to which you think about something, anything, right? Dictates how you will act, think, all that kind of stuff, but it also limits your understanding. That's why in Mikyo we had this concept of turning in the seat of consciousness, right? They're, these mandala are not two-dimensional pictures. They're multi-level, multi-layered kind of things. And as you're working through these different things, you're going to hit certain layers or certain aspects that you just cannot get your head wrapped around. And so you have to train and study and, and just like Tapet. Just like any other aspect of this art, you train, you study, and then you have this breakthrough, this aha moment, and now you can't see that thing the same way again, because now you get it, right? But the more of those you go through, and the more you get in tune with the way the world works or your martial art or whatever, right? Shit starts to look like magic, right? And nobody else understands it. Or, funnier yet, right, which is why it's called crazy wisdom, right? It just it just looks screwy, right? I mean, it makes no sense, right? And they don't even know how you're doing that, right? So, anyway, he's teaching on this Vajra anger, and my mind is going to examples of that kind of anger in the world that it's out there and it's loud and it's and then it's gone. Like, you'd never know that it was there. So, after the training was over, I went up and I asked, how is this different, right? How is Vajra anger different from the spoiled brat who's yelling and screaming and whatever, and then you give them what they wanted, and it's like you flip the light switch, the screaming, the tears, and everything are gone, and they run around and pretend like nothing... Well, they're not pretending, right? Like nothing ever happened. How is that different? And he said, well, you're missing something. Okay? Why is the brat yelling and screaming? Well, because they're not getting what they want. Right. Why would an enlightened one do their thing? See, I'm stuck. Because the whole idea of an enlightened one being angry or whatever. Then they give me this analogy that maybe something's going on and speaking quietly, calmly, whatever. It's just, it's not, they can't even hear you or whatever. And then you just say, hey, whatever, right? And shocks everybody. They stop, right? Say what you need to say. You're done, right? And then you go back to whatever you were doing. Almost looks psychotic to some people, right? Because you just go back. But it one guy's doing it for what? Because he, he wants something. She wants something. The enlightened one is doing it because it's about somebody else. They're doing something dangerous. Whatever, right? So it's not the same. The intent is different. It's not the same. 
Okay? Just like you have people in the world that pound on other people. Beat, break, or kill them. But we are learning to pound on people to beat, break, or kill them. What's the difference? One guy's doing it for self-serving reasons. One guy's doing it because he's protecting self or others. Whatever. It's not about, right? I don't want your money. I don't want your house. I don't want your wife. I don't want, right? I'm not trying to get something from you. I'm trying to make you stop, trying to stop the, the, the mad test, right? I'm trying to stop the danger as opposed to I'm going to do whatever I need to do to take something from you. Everything from the money in your wallet to other possessions or your life, right? The intent is completely different. Right? But the way we think about things dictates, right? Uh, just heard one of my mentors the other day, he's Chinese, and uh, uh, he, he quoted this, this thing. I, I don't know how it got shifted for me a little bit because whenever I say it, um, it's, um, I normally say the way you do anything is a good indicator as to how you do just about everything. And I think somehow during, during the indoctrination process of people's thinking, right? Because you can't be direct and, and mean, right? You got to say things nicely, right? Um, it jumped the track because the direct Chinese phrase is the way you do anything is the way you do everything. Right? So, right? Um, but again, there's just these different kind of things, right? So good enough, right? Good enough in training. Good enough in on the job. Good enough in a relationship. Good enough. For, what does that mean? Well, I see it from two. Well, there's more than two perspectives. Today I'm going to talk about two. Right. One. Good enough. For me or for any of my students, as we just had this Goma uh, active uh, meditation that uh, happened yesterday. It's a big New Year's goal setting kind of thing and walk them through a whole process, right? Filling in some gaps based on conventional goal setting things, right? Um, if they have this goal, right? And then part of that was they had to look at the kind of the rungs on the ladder that's going to help them get to that thing, right? Now they become smaller goals, right? And there's lots more, right? But anyway, um, if they're if they're working on something, right? There is such a thing as good enough. Because if I do more, do I really need more to make that happen, right? Like a perfectionist can actually slow themselves down, right? Somebody who's annually retentive or they're a perfectionist, I know I had to get over that aspect of myself. Right. Well, it's not ready yet. It's not. Okay. As soon as I got over that, I was able to put out books and videos way faster and not give a shit what anybody thought because their belief system doesn't affect my thoughts, words or actions because I'm not here for a popular popularity contest. I'm here for students that want help from somebody like me. And if they don't, they can go to somebody else. It's OK. 
Doesn't rock me at the core. I'm not looking for disciples. Although somebody tried to offer me discipleship over the weekend. I can't remember who it was. It wasn't you because you know better. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, somebody was joking around about it. Anyway, um, so what I want to find is, right, if I do too little, the next parts are maybe not guaranteed or it's going to, it's going to be a, a crapshoot, right? But if I do too much, let's say I had to study something, right? To know something, right? I'm not studying it to be a freaking expert in that topic. I just need to know enough. Kind of like building spreadsheets to keep uh, like new prospects and stuff like that in order, right? Shit. All I need to know is how the cells work. And if I need to add something, how to do that little formula and I'm going to do it once, because the cool thing about a computer program is it has a copy and paste function. And I'm just going to copy and paste that same formula in every, so I don't have to do it over and over again, right? I'm not an accountant. Anyway, so there's a, there's what's good enough, okay? I'll give you another example, right? has to do with come I. So those of you who are watching this on video, you're going to see me do something. Those who are um, like on Apple Podcasts or you want one of the audio-only services, um, if you're involved in the training, you'll get it. If you've been in martial arts training, I'm using the term kamai. You can use the term dachi for stance or whatever. That's for a whole other lesson. But let's say I'm taking up this position, right? So in the beginning, we keep hammering people with this idea of relax, relax, right? Relaxed energy, soft training, relaxed energy. Well, the reason we do that is because people come to training either too stiff or they try too hard. So we counter it by having them do the opposite extreme, hoping that they'll find center. Okay? But uh, for those of you who can watch or you're on video, you can see this, right? So I have my arms in good enough, relaxed energy, which means if you can see from different angles, my arm is not on my chest. This arm is not relaxed on me. It's not hanging down. My fingers are not apart, okay? Right? The shoulders are not slumped, okay? There's a certain amount of energy where the muscles are geared up, so when I need to move, since they're already activated, doing what I need to do is very, very quick. But if I relax too much, I have to gear up. I actually have to do more to produce the same results. If you drive, it's the difference between doing a full stop at a stop sign and what we in the States call a California stop. What do they call it in California? I don't know, New York stop, who knows? Anyway, right, so, right, because if I bring it enough but it's still coasting, uh, it's quicker and easier to get up to speed. There's less torque, there's less wear on the engine, all that kind of stuff, right? But if I come to a full stop, there's more effort, okay? Conversely, the opposite, right? If I do more, okay, I'm now cooking off extra energy, and because I'm firing opposing muscle groups to stiffen up like that, it's harder to relax to go to the next move, right? I'm actually in my own way, okay? So part of the training is figuring out what's enough to produce the work that needs to be done, but not in a sloppy way, 
Okay? I'm working on goals. What do I need? Okay? That's all I need. Okay? And just move on. If I find I need something else, great. I can grab that too and just keep on going. Right? And get there faster. Okay? But good enough. See? Meh. Good enough. Right? That's the lazy worker. Okay? Good enough for the guy working on something or the girl working on something is what's the minimum I need to produce the results I need to keep moving forward. Okay? So the lazy person, good enough is, this is as far as I'm willing to go and it's, this is as much energy as I'm willing to expend. And if they find that that's too little because they're going to get fired because of it, they'll bump it up, but not because they need to, because they have to. Or not because they want to, right? Or not because they need it for something particular. They're just trying to not get fired. Okay? One is based on just, I'm just not going to do too much. And the other one is, I need to recognize that I don't want to do too much because it'll actually get in my way. There's such a thing as too little and too much, right? Good enough, right? Because it's going to get me there, right? So I know it seems like a contradiction, but the people look at that and go, yeah, that's me, man. I need that T-shirt, okay? Why? Okay? You know. You know what the intent was behind the words or the thoughts. You know Right. When, when I've had people, you know, on here where we've talked about success things and whatnot, and they go, well, you know, you, you just hit a point in your life where you just kind of accept where, you know, where you are, that that's good enough for you. Yep. I get it. I get it. Okay. As long as you're being honest with yourself and you're not accepting it because doing what you really wanted to do is too much fucking work. You just weren't willing to put that in. And I get it. Okay? But we'll leave that one with whatever makes you feel okay. Okay? So as, as, long, as, that's, as long as that's what you want and it's, you're happy and you feel successful and it's enough for you, great. But to hear the tone in my voice, okay? I'm not telling myself a story that okay, if we just go back to the martial arts from a self-defense perspective, now we have a whole different question. What's good enough when it comes to our training? The skills we're learning, how far we're willing to, or how much we need to develop the skill, whatever, right? Who determines good enough in a self-defense self or survival situation? The attacker or the scenario you're in, which goes back to the old phrase, I'd rather have it and know it and not need it than to need it and not know it or have it. Okay? But that's me. That's me. Um, in one of the classes coming up, I'm going to have to try to figure out how to sneak the second t-shirt my wife got me into, uh, into an upcoming Shinobi, uh, Shinobi Kai class, because I'm going to have to get it on 
between the two other classes that we're a little bit more walking on eggshells for, like kids and and the, the mm-hmm. general populace. Because that one says something about, like, you know, the reason why we have problems in the world is because we don't drink the blood of our enemies out of skull cups anymore. Something like that. Right? Because <laughs> I thought that was great, too. I know exactly what glasses I'm I'm wearing that one in. <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> ah, we, we need to start. We, not start. We need to get more of the... the uh, t-shirts and all that kind of stuff posted. James come up, came up with a really good slogan during a business meeting last week, and it's now not just t-shirts and hoodies. Did you see? He made friggin' uh, he made uh, uh, journals and and notebooks and mugs and everything out of your your <laughs> your little saying there, right? Everybody wants to be a ninja, so it's time to do ninja shit, right? And it's just a play off of other ones we've seen. We know, right? But it's the same thing, right? Everybody wants to be a master. Everybody wants to be a black belt or whatever until it's time to actually do the and learn the skills and lessons that are required to be that thing, right? And most people, most people just freaking quit and say it wasn't for them. But enough want to get away with this, okay? But behind that, there has to be a conscious, subconscious, or unconscious thought or belief that probably nothing will ever happen to them. So they can get away with playing dress up and not not get pinged for it. Right? Now, you're hearing you're you're getting these words from somebody who was an ex cop and who was beaten and abused and all that inside the home, outside the home, and all that growing up. And who tends to teach toward cops and people that are in that realm, right? Survivalist, and you don't have to be a cop, right? But people that are, are thinking in that direction, right? So this resonates, right? The reason we keep training is because, right? We don't, one, we don't know what's going to happen. Two, many of us have experiences to what can happen. And three, I think I shared this during the weekend as well. What I was afraid of when I first started training changed as I learned how to handle certain types of situations and became more aware of the different ways that human beings can attack other human beings and what was prevalent in different, because my wife and I are travelers, right? So what's prevalent in other areas of the world, minimal here. You probably never even think of it, right? But there shit that's going to be something different right and and vice versa so but eventually the physical things didn't become that much of a problem anymore because i had more and more of that handled right so now i'm looking at you know what if this is a freaking you know flash mob or you know whatever right i mean something that's just this is right i mean you can you can fantasize about being chuck norris kicking the shit out of 20 guys at the same time in a movie, but he didn't really kick the shit out of 20 guys at the same time, right? They were kind enough to come in and at him one or two at a time until he kicked all their asses, right? And the ones who weren't already laying on the ground, they were patient, right? They, right? <laughs> Very different from our Togakure stuff where you're unarmed against two attackers, four attackers, eight attackers, 16. It keeps doubling, right? All the way up to either 32 or 64 in the scrolls. 
So you're literally freaking surrounded, right? But it has nothing to do with kicking these guys. It has to do with making a hole and, and taking off, right? So that you go from being surrounded to being in a position where they're all behind you, right? That's, that's some cool shit, right? Because, you know, when they can all, when they're all, and this is the Togakure Scrolls, when they're all willing to attack you at the same time, there is no movie magic. There is none of that stuff, right? So, anyway, and then, but most of that stuff, I mean, my my awareness uh, things are up and, and all that kind of stuff, and I I can spot things. So it's time to go establishing baselines, watching people and being able to to know how they carry themselves and what type of fighter they typically are, or if this person's a mouth with legs. Right. And the guy who's silent, who I know he can carry, he can take care of himself, that kind of thing. Right. The things that concern me now are typically non-physical. Psychological warfare, political bullshit, that kind of stuff. But not I'm not involved in politics. Right. Just watching people that have been taught to be divisive, to taught to, to polarize. Right. And now I have to worry about things going to hell in a handbasket near my home. Or near where I and my grandson might be standing, or whatever, right? That kind of shit, right? So it's very different, very different. So anyway, um, but this big, this 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 always goes to, right? Why do we think, right? This is where I started. Why do we think a certain way? Why do we believe something a certain way? And it really comes down to only one of three things, okay? One is somebody taught it to you, right? And it was somebody that you trusted to teach it to you. Because we don't believe anything that people that we don't trust says. No matter how right it is, no matter how enlightened they are, right? Doesn't matter. No matter how wrong the person who trusts you trust is. If you don't know any better, you're going to believe them, okay? So somebody taught it to me. Or it's cultural social, okay, and it could be on the macrocosm, right, where you live, the country you live, the state you live, region you live, or it's familial, whatever, right, it's what, it's what we do, right, you just watch other people, and you just mimic, right, so they teach you by saying, this is how we tie a shoe, this is how we, right, that kind of thing, right, you just, you just watch, and well, that's what everybody else does, right, so you just kind of fit in, or the third one is, you try a bunch of things out, um, and you just decide for yourself. So you just you pick something, right? It works more often than it doesn't. So I'm going to stick with this, right? So, but were any of those validated to be true? Right? And again, this is not about me telling you what to do because that's that's not the nature of our relationship, right? This is a podcast. Right? I'm talking to people that I, some, some of you I know, some of you I don't, some of you I just met, some of you, whatever. Okay? Um, it's not about that. Okay? Even with my inner circle guys. Here's the lesson. But ultimately, you have to work this stuff out for yourself. Okay? But we need to understand, right? Okay? The title for this podcast, this episode, right? As a Warrior Thinketh, right? Okay? Is actually a mash, right? 
of two books that just kind of popped into my head. One is a book from like the turn of the 1900s, right? Called As a Man Thinketh, right? By Wallace Waddles, I think, right? Um, and it was about success. A really, really short book, but it was just like piercing through this whole group think, sleepwalk living kind of thing, right? I highly recommend it. You can get it for free online. It's PDFs all over the place. Pay a couple a buck or two through Amazon or whatever, right? As a man think of. The other one was by a friend of mine, Jack Hoban, right? Some of you guys might know Jack, um, really high-ranking uh, American here in the art. When I got involved in training, there was in the Western world, there was Stephen Hayes and his two primary students, Jack Hoban and Bud Malmstrom. Jack eventually shifted to just go straight to Hatsumi Sensei and learn that way, whatever, okay? So he wrote a book called Ninpo, Living and Thinking as a Warrior. I've recommended this multiple times in the past, okay? If you can find it, I'm going to highly, highly, highly recommend it again, okay? So lots of different subjects that are in there, but I'm going to pull one, okay? Because this tends to be a highly debated thing these days that separates... The, the people that think that they're poor from the rich, because, you know, the rich must be stealing shit from them or forcing them to buy things at gunpoint or whatever, okay? So I'm going to highlight one little difference in thinking that has nothing to do with cheating. It actually has to do with getting closer to the intent behind your actions and decisions, but it just happens to ha be wrapped around finances, okay? Because what most people don't know most people that know Jack know that he's a, uh, a former Marine captain, rewrote the Marines knife fighting uh, manual, was instrumental in introducing the armed forces uh, uh, self-defense training or, or combat training, right, which involves a lot of uh, nipple taijutsu and stuff like that, before the youngsters, the 18 to 25-year-olds, decided that they weren't going to train unless there was BJJ mixed in with it, right? which is great unless you're on a battlefield and you're wrestling around on the ground and somebody can just walk by and poke you with something, stick a gun up against your skull, right? But, and then the military went and changed everything so that, you know, so that these guys would train. Oh, great. So we designed it one way based on the realities of the battlefield, and we're going to let jack wagons who have no idea what it's like on a battlefield to dictate the training. Sounds good to me. Sounds like the modern university. Anyway, so, um, and I know I'm going to get, like, people that don't like me after that. And I don't, I'm not here to be liked, right? I'm here to convey these lessons as authentically as possible. Anyway, so, what most people don't know is that Jack Hoven, after he left the military, was a financial advisor and planner. A really good one, okay? So, he understands how the system works, okay? So, there's a section in the book where he's talking about a warrior, if you're really a warrior, thinking about finances, right? And not and, and getting away from groupthink, right? Well, this is just the way we do it, or mom taught you, whatever. This is what you put on your this is what you put on your W-2 so that they'll take less taxes, or they'll sell take more taxes normally, right? And then you'll get a, a refund. You don't actually get a refund, you get a freaking rebate. Okay? And only Lower middle class and lower class, not lower class, financial, right? Low class, right? 
poor people, whatever you want to think, right? They have jobs, okay? Get rebates. Rebate is some of your money back, right? I know some people get all their money back and then a shit ton because of all the extra credits, right? But where'd the money come from? And it didn't come from your paycheck. It came from your employer's pocket. They had to work out the numbers so you could take home the amount of money you wanted to take home. That's a whole different lesson. Anyway, so um, starting with taxes, Jack's big thing is you claim the exact number, right, so that they take the exact amount, right? Everybody got conditioned to getting a refund check. Well, you wouldn't get a refund check if they weren't taking the money out of your pocket all year. You would have had that money to work with and do things with. But what people do is they use it as a savings account, and it doesn't work that way, right? So you give up extra money that you're now complaining about because I needed that money to live, but we're going to keep doing this because that's the way it's done. And then I'm going to fill out this paperwork and they're going to give me money, some money back. And then I'm going to go blow it on shit because that's what everybody does, right? They certainly don't get caught up on their rent. They don't pay their bills. And when I say they, I'm talking about the rule, not the exceptions. Okay. But in Jack's words, and I'm going to do this because I'm betting that 90% of everybody who didn't already get the book won't get the book anyway, unless they're going to do it now because they're an oppositional personality type and they're going to go do it because I said they won't. But then they have to read past page 19. Anyway, so when it comes to taxes, right, he says, let's just imagine something, right? Your friend comes to you, right, and says, hey, dude, can I borrow 100 bucks?" right? What's the first thing you're going to say? What are you going to say, James? <clears throat> Am I going to say it? Yeah. What do you need it for? Right? Yeah. Probably going to get some justification, right? And what I'm, so I'm your friend, right? Dude, loan me 100 bucks, okay? Pay you back in a year. Okay? You might say, how are you going to use it for? <laughs> okay? And I'm going to say, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it in an interest-bearing savings account. And I'm going to let it sit there and draw interest. And then at the end of the year, I'm going to give you back your hundred bucks. And I'll make the money off of your money instead of you making the money off your money. Will you loan me a hundred bucks? Now what are you going to say? No, <laughs> probably. Right. Okay. Except that's what you do when you have more money pulled out of your paycheck every month and then just get a rebate at the end of the year. You're allowing the government to put that into interest-bearing accounts to make money off of your money, but you could be doing that. Put your own damn money away, draw some interest on it, and do what the rich do and make their money make babies. They don't have to scam anybody, right? It's called interest, right? Banks, IRA, or bank accounts, savings, IRAs, whatever, okay? And then let's cross over one more. Okay, because I'm 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 a, see the numbers dropping. I'm attacking sensibilities. Okay, so let's get even more personal. Let's talk to the people who like to give to charities. Okay, I give to charities. My wife and I give to charities all the time. Okay, and I resent anybody 
from the government on down, implying that I'm a cheap bastard or I'm selfish or whatever because I don't give more. Okay? Jack logic. Again, financial planner. Okay? And looking at the bigger picture. Why do we give to charities? Because we want to help people in need. Yes? Okay? As a warrior, I lean toward helping people in need who are currently helping themselves and need an extra boost. Do you understand? Okay. It's a warrior ethos. Okay. So, we, I'm going to give you a dilemma. I have, let's say I have, I don't know, $2,000, right? And I have a choice. I could donate it to my favorite charity or I could take a vacation. Which one does the greater good? See, now people are starting to think, well, I mean, if I rest up and everything, I'm doing the greater good. And they're trying to play back and forth, but I'm talking financially. Which of these two things helps people in need more? Because if you understand business, nonprofits are still business. And they have administrative costs. Even if they have thousands and thousands of volunteers. There's still offices. There's still electric. There's still plane rides to get the Peace Corps to the poor country to dig the well. There's still, right? 70 to 90% of money donated to nonprofits goes to administrative costs. Only 10 to 30% find its way to the place it's supposed to be helping. Okay? Now, let me go on vacation. What do I have to do? Let's say my wife and I are going on a, on, going on a cruise. Okay? So we're going to, I don't care if we drive or fly. I don't care if we take a train, whatever it is, right? Okay? Does the transportation involve fuel? So I'm paying for fuel, which means anybody in that fuel pipeline is getting some fraction of what I paid in the way of paycheck or whatever. Yes? Mom and pop, gas station, whatever. They're getting a little bit more because they own the place or whatever. But... That's now going to paychecks. Okay. Yes, I know the company's using it for other things, right? But it's going to paychecks. Hotel, paychecks, right? Cruise line, paychecks, whatever. Okay. What else? Well, maybe you don't. Well, I'm assuming everybody does this to some extent. My wife and I do it a lot, right? What else am I doing while I'm on vacation? I'm tipping the towel boy at the pool the waiter, waitress, whatever, right? The, the sky cap that's helping with luggage or whatever, right? More of my money is going directly into the hands of people who need it that way than for me to have it siphoned through pipelines. But why do people choose charities over going on vacation? I would contest that it's easier, and it also makes you feel more virtuous. Why does it make you feel that way? 
I don't know which of the three things did it. Social conditioning, somebody taught you that, or you came to believe that, or some mixture of the three. Okay? If we're going to fix anything, if we're going to get to that next place where we say we want to be, the first thing we need to do is question our thinking. What produces that? I think I did this analogy before, right? Let's say somebody's working out, okay? The, the exercises and things that somebody, that a weak man needs or a weak person needs to get to be a strong person are not the same exercises, not the same routines, and not the same schedule that a strong person needs to become stronger. It's not the same. If you're doing the same thing, you're going to hit a plateau and just stay there. It's all different. And that starts with your thinking. How you think about it, how you look at it, what you believe about it. In our vows of intentions, right? We have second phase for people's training, right? Student creed, vows of intentions. One of those vows of intentions is I intend to learn as much about as much as possible about myself, my world, and my martial art. And of course, my world means other people, connections, and all that kind of stuff, right? Because only by doing that do I make it harder for people to blow smoke up my ass, trick me, con me, convince me that certain things are real or, or that they're that are not, right? Or I become more clear about how something really works. So now I can navigate better, I can avoid pitfalls better, and I have better tools to move where I need to go. And hopefully in the process, right, I stop blaming people. Because vow number eight is I intend to become what? I intend to become an example of the power of the ninja's art. What is the power of the ninja's art? Nin, patience, perseverance, endurance, the ability to go on in the face of overwhelming odds. The character paints it out, right? The nin, do I have a blank piece of paper that I haven't already written all over? No. Maybe? You guys know what a nin is, right? Nin. Let's see if I can do this without being too sloppy. I know. I apologize to those of you on audio only. But... Nin. Okay? Nin. Top kanji. This is a this is a kanji. This one right here. Okay? Everybody says it's toll. Okay? Toll is missing. Where am I? It's missing that little crosshatch right there. Okay? Toll means blade. With that crosshatch, it's the edge of the blade. It's kisaki. Okay? This bottom part right here looks like a smiley face with dimples or whatever, right? Bowl or whatever. It's sheen. Okay? Even though the enemy holds his blade over my heart, even though the enemy has his blade in my heart, I will persevere. I'll endure. And sometimes that requires patience, which is why that's an alternate uh, translation. Okay? Um, you can't have nin without challenge. You can't have nin without, without work or observation or, say, we're right back to, to James' slogan, right? Everybody wants to do ninja. Everybody wants to be a ninja until they have to do ninja shit. Right. So anyway, questions, comments. I'm not going to be keep beating a dead horse because for some people they've already like either fell asleep or clicked away. <clears throat> I don't see anything.
No? All right. Well, that was easy. I guess I did good enough. <laughs> ah, God, I hope not. <laughs> anyway, all right. So um, uh, coming up here in the next couple of weeks or whatever, we'll have some, uh, some, uh, some dates planned out uh, for spring camp, for our fall camp, for some other seminars and whatnot that are going on. Uh, there are some other uh, uh, online courses uh, that we're going to be uh, looking at uh, for those of you who uh, want to learn more about uh, Nikyo or uh, that that realm of things, right? Um, we are re-releasing the Advanced Sanshin Kyonopo Home Study Course, which was originally a 12 DVD set based on a intensive three-day weekend. Uh, James was actually there. That was shit. How many years ago? Um, so when you get it, video's going to be, it's going to look like we're younger because um, um, we were a little bit, right? Um, but uh, we loaded this thing up with a whole bunch of extra uh, bonuses and related uh, training and all that kind of stuff, right? So uh, watch your email if you're on the list. Uh, we'll, we'll be getting that kind of stuff out. If you're on the Facebook pages and, and those kind of things, we'll, we'll have some posts for those. Uh, but anyway, spring camp, fall camp, uh, this fall, right, putting together a two-week trip to Japan. If you can't take two weeks off, you can do a week of it and then look at us through watery, teary eyes and a pouty lip as we're putting you on an airplane to, you know, go back while we're – I only I only say that because I had uh, two guys do that uh, one year. I always tell people, look, as soon as you go, you're going to try to figure out how to go back again. And these guys both said, no, 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 this is a once-in-a-lifetime. And I was putting them on the bullet train to go back to the airport, and they had that look in their face, and they were already trying to figure out how they were getting back. But I'm not the guy to tell you I told you so. You know it, and I know it, so it doesn't need to be said, right? But we're gonna, uh, it's going to be a two-week trip, about 13 days, um, and, and it is a training trip. And when I say training trip, it's not just going to the dojo and doing this kind of training. It's for the heads, for the heart. We're going to temples, uh, at least one castle, and a bunch of places that are historically significant and related to what we do. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take you to a spot on a mountain where the acknowledged founder of one of our ninja lineages trained when he was still a student just like you. That's some powerful shit for people that care that that's a power, you know, powerful stuff. Okay. Um, and if not, just go for a couple of classes and I'll drop you off at the entrance to Tokyo Disney. Whatever, right? It's a small world after all. <laughs> Sensei, you're an ass. Yeah, well, there's that too. All right, so no other questions, no other comments? <clears throat> no? Shit. Uh, Phil said he was the one that made the disciple joke this weekend. Oh, see? See? Now I have to reconsider whether I'm going to let him in the fold. <laughs> <laughs> Ask Phil if he's still driving. Phil, he's still driving? He was earlier. Somehow Phil made it from Iowa, now eastern border of Iowa, to the dojo in 14 hours. Now, unless you can't Google the map of the United States and see that, 
I think he took off, took the uh, cinder block that was strapped to his boot off before he walked in the dojo, because I'm pretty sure I'd have heard clump, step, clump, step, right? Man, dude, you, 14 hours made my, makes my wife look like a granny driver. And my wife is not a granny, <laughs> granny driver. There's a reason cars come with oh shit handles, right? <laughs> anyway, all right, so fun stuff. All right, hopefully you guys get some benefit out of this. If not, well, as Cher said one time, she was doing a concert and uh, she had a cold, but she wanted to dis disappoint fans and all that. So she came out and let them know, right? And, you know, her, her voice wasn't that far off. People started booing and all that. She stopped right in the middle of a song and said, I guess you all came to the wrong fucking concert then, didn't you? Right? Because nobody ever considers that, I don't know, your celebrity might catch a cold or get ill or twist an ankle or whatever. Because the world, you know, the world is perfect. Meanwhile, I can make excuses for all the shit that goes wrong with me. I love this shirt. I'm going to wear a hole right under good enough with my finger by going back and forth here a whole lot. Mediocrities is going to be bald when I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's it. That's what I got, guys. Uh, James, anything else? Was there was anything, nothing, maybe, no, yes? Bill said he is still driving. He's about 30 minutes from home. I don't even want to know what time he left this morning. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> he stayed an extra night so he'd have, you know, be nice and fresh, but holy cow. All right. So that's it. That's all I got. Uh, we'll talk to you again next time on Kuden. Get more of Kuden Radio. Subscribe through your favorite podcasting site or join our clan of serious modern warriors at OnlineNinjaAcademy.com.